0: the opening music to King Solomon's Minds from 1950. Uh, or I should say it's the 1950 version of this story, because there's a one from the 30s and one from the 80s, I think, with Richard Chamberlain.
1: <laughs> and there's even a later version. that's a cartoon version. I have not seen it. In my review of material, I, I ran across that.
0: And that's the movie that we're reviewing today. It was... Released by MGM, is that right? Yes. Stars Deborah Kerr. Deborah Carr?
1: Carr, Deborah Carr.
0: Deborah Carr, Stuart Granger, one of our favorites, Richard Carlson, uh, Hugo Haas. There's a lot of African people that were in this movie as well. Kim Kimercy, Suri Q, Sakara Yango. Uh, I think we're all pretty prominent characters in the movie as well.
1: I think it came out in the fall of 1950.
0: And it's kind of renowned for its cinematography because they filmed a lot of it on the African savanna. There's just a ton of great wildlife photography in the movie.
1: It won two Academy Awards, uh, one for the uh, cinematography and the other for Best Film Editing. And I was reading uh, that that they were in Africa for five months on location filming, and they had to truck all the equipment in. And it turned out to be a, a total of seventy thousand miles of of uh, travel with all the trucks and and back and forth. So it was quite a uh, a major undertaking.
0: Wow! They trucked in a or they flew in a. Uh Snow plow because they were going to be up in the mountains in some parts, and they weren't sure if they were going to need to have to plow <laughs> the road.
1: <laughs> I did not read that. Yeah. yeah, I guess that. Yeah, you could you could run into that in, at the higher elevations. Yeah, in uh, fact, there are some scenes where there's snow in the in the mountains that they that they're climbing over.
0: Yeah, I was curious though if a lot of that was matte painting. I, I, I was wondering what you thought about that. But we can get there when we get there. Um, Okay. There's two directors listed, Compton Bennett and Andrew Martin. And I read that Compton Bennett was sort of sacked because Stuart Granger really didn't like him and just felt like he wasn't getting the job done. And so they brought in another director, Andrew Martin.
1: There must be some truth to that because I read a similar version to that same story but it didn't identify which cast member was upset with the original director, Bennett. And I know that uh, Stuart Granger had worked with uh, Andrew Martin in other other, uh, films. So he probably said, either you get rid of this guy or I'm walking. (laughs) I don't know. I I made that up.
0: Well, we should probably introduce ourselves. Uh, Okay, (laughs) you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews. And you can find us on the internet at ClassicMovieReviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to Patreon.com slash Classic Movie Reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from rainy, sunny, windy, hail, thunderstorm, every kind of weather you can imagine, North Bend.
1: Wow. yeah, it's I'm impressed crazy. by that because I this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles where we're having a nice... Nice day with the temperature to probably be in the mid-70s, all of us wishing for some more rain.
0: I saw it was going to be in the 90s later this week. Oof.
1: Yes, yeah, we've, we've been going through periods of of that high and then back to the 70s. So. Well, I want to welcome everybody back to uh, Classic Movie Reviews and our, our talk about uh, King Solomon's Minds, the 1950 film version. I wrote this out so I wouldn't forget to to kind of lead in with it. I saw this film when I was nine, maybe 10 years old, at the Judah Theater in Lewistown. And I loved the film because of the adventure, the African beauty, the beautiful country, the wildlife, the drum music, uh, seeing new and different uh, peoples. And it almost... When I think back on it today, it's almost like watching Indiana Jones, Mm -hmm. even down to Stuart Granger's uh, hat. But now that I look at it after all those years, I actually see two movies. First is uh, the movie that's what I remember it to be from being 10 years old. The landscape, the, the plot, the wildlife, the music, all of that is just excellent. And then the treatment of African people, the superior attitude of the Europeans, and the treatment of the woman uh, as as being kind of weak and, and needing help, really changes my view of the film from what it was when I was a much younger boy. And I think you know it just it brought home to me how as I watch these movies with you and we do our podcasts how in some cases the film hasn't really changed at all, and in other cases it's changed dramatically in the way I view it. This was really the case with this film.
0: Yeah, I was a little nervous about watching this one because I thought there's so many of these movies set in Africa that are just almost unwatchable because of the stereotypes. Wow, this one opens up with a literal bang. I mean, the first scene is this elephant hunt i mean i was shocked because they actually killed this elephant on screen so to speak in the the film i I was just like dumbfounded by that i i was like okay i'm gonna give this a chance though because the way that the main character alan quatermain reacted to that kind of gave me hope
2: you've got yours.
1: What are they doing?
2: Trying to lift him up and carry him off. Gallant fools. I missed my wound. Wounded yours. It took off. We'll go after it later. have to get rid of these others.
0: Look on. There, there were two English hunters and a whole bunch of African support people that were there to, you know, carry things and set up camp and whatnot. And then our main character, Stuart Granger's Alan Quartermain, those two English hunters were just awful. One killed that elephant and then another one wanted to shoot another elephant I think they just wanted to just shoot as many elephants as they could. Alan Quatermain just put a stop to it and said, no, you got your elephant, that's all. I read, this was interesting, that that was shot on a game preserve, and the quote, I'm going to paraphrase it slightly, was like, it's hard to believe in the 21st century, but at the time of the filming of this movie, there were too many elephants, and they had to call the herd down because there weren't enough resources for all the elephants and so they had a professional hunter kill that elephant and that was something that was going to happen anyway it's the first and i think maybe only time where they caught on film how those other elephants came around to protect that elephant that was shot Do you remember how they all circled around yes. the yes oh yes you know, knowing what we know now about how elephants are going extinct and how maternal or, and paternal, like how strong those family bonds are and how smart they are, you know, it's just really heartbreaking to see that scene for me. But wow, what, a, is, what an opening. It is a shock. I mean,
1: yeah. And then to follow that up, the second uh, elephant is wounded and is shot again and falls and kills one of the... Uh, Support people that were in the safari, and uh, so they they killed two elephants, which then all resulted in the death of this of this man that was working for Quartermain,
0: who who had worked uh, with him for like eight years, and he knew his, his family, and that was another thing. I like I thought the Quartermain character was a lot more likable than what I was expecting him to be. I don't know. He just seemed to have more empathy for what was going on
1: well i I kind of go back and forth with his character because uh I was sort of put off by the way he came to the uh, widow of the killed man uh, from the elephant falling on him and and there was such a short scene with him and her where he gave her that uh that uh, necklace medal that uh, was on the the man when he was killed but it just then he walks away like well you know it just gave short Mm -hmm. shrift to that whole tragedy of this man who was very close to him apparently
0: at least they showed that right like at least they showed him going to see the, the the wife and the child like i think a lot of movies wouldn't have even shown that And then his remorse when he came back after visiting the family and just saying, I'm done, I can't do this anymore, I'm going to go back to England.
2: Hello, Alan. Oh, hello, come on, sit down. Bad trip? Oh, I was paid. I hear you lost quality. He was a good man. Yes, the best. I'll miss him. He was with me eight years. Want to take on another party? had an inquiry today. not this time, Eric. These people seem pretty decent and willing to pay almost anything. No, not anymore. I've had enough. I think I'm through. Uh, Perhaps I'll do this house up a bit, send for my son. Bring the boy out here. It's no life for a child. How old is he now? He's almost seven. I can understand you're wanting to see him. But isn't he better off where he is? English schools, all that? Oh, perhaps I'll go back to England for good. I've thought of that, too. What would you do there? Become a shopkeeper? This is a mood, Alan. I've seen it growing on you the past few months. You've been alone too much. England's no place for you. You've built a career here. Don't toss it away. The happiest, finest fate a man can have in this world is to be the best at something. You may not realize it, but your reputation spread to England, too. Have another drink. Oh, I need mean it. Today, that pair from London who were looking for a guide, they knew your name. Ever meet a man called Curtis, Henry Curtis? No. Curtis? Yes, there was a fellow about eighteen months ago, an Englishman, tried to get me to go west into unexplored country. Had some crazy sort of notion about a lost diamond mine. That's the man. Yeah, well, I turned him down. It sounded like romantic foolishness. See, the fellow wants to go hunting now. No. Had a letter from him about seven or eight months ago. No. No, it was asking about. It, it didn't make any sense. It was his wife. Mrs. Curtis, who tried to engage you today. A woman? A woman on safari? No, thank you. She seemed very eager. Listen, any woman who wants to go traipsing through jungle must have something the matter with her. Besides, I really am fed up, it I'll tell her so. If you're serious about England, stop in at the office tomorrow. Perhaps I can be of service.
0: Get some sleep. It's almost like there's three considerations in my mind for this movie it's set in like 1897 so it's the late 19th century so there's a certain like perspective that they're portraying because of the time period and those english hunters and and also his character are very colonial in their thinking and then there's the movie that was made in 1950 and released in 1950 and sort of the overlay of what the mores were of 1950 and then there's today like watching it in 2022 <laughs> which is like another layer so it's, it's, a, it's weird watching some of these movies with trying to like figure out how am I supposed to view this you know, am I supposed to think of it as 1897 or like watching it in 1950 or today and seeing it for the first time today
1: I, I couldn't agree more. I I went through that because when I saw it as a nine or a ten year old sitting there in the theater on a Saturday, I thought probably this was just a magnificent film because I was taken in by the scenery and things I'd never seen before, and that over overwhelming music. And and then I look at it now and I think, wow. Yeah. But you know, it it it's it's a classic reason why I I, I often have to look at these movies as they came out at the time they came out in the era they were in versus now. And it's really a conflict within me about, <laughs> about <laughs> what, what to make of them. The other thing is this film was like the second highest grossing film of the year, won two Academy Awards, and I think it was nominated for Best Picture.
0: It was, yeah.
1: And Stuart Granger and and, and Deborah Carr and, and uh, Richard Carlson all did admirable jobs for the roles they were in, it's just, it, it's a part of why I, I love these films and why we're doing them now and what it has done to change my, talk about a teaching moment. It, it, they happened, it happened with this film for yeah. me.
0: Yeah. Here's some more examples of why I was m- more engaged with this movie and enjoyed it more than what I thought I would. So the plot is that. Deborah Carr's character is visiting Africa to try to find her husband who has gone off on this treasure hunt to look for King Solomon's mines where it's kind of this mythical mine where there's all these jewels and uh, Richard Carlson is there as a, as a friend, I think, to help support her. I think it's uh, her brother. Her I brother. She's either, uh, okay. It's either her brother or brother-in-law. I'm not sure which. Okay, so they're both in Africa, and they are looking for Alan Quartermain because he's like a world-renowned hunter and backcountry person who can take them on this journey. And he doesn't want to do it because, like I said, he's ready to quit and perhaps move back to England. But then she offers him 5,000 pounds, and he's like, well, okay, for that amount of money, I'll do it. And then they head off into the savannah and they go through the jungle and a desert and mountains and this high country plains area they they see a lot of different kinds of climates and i i did enjoy that part of the film where it was the majority of the film was this them trying to get to the mine right like it's Mm -hmm. uh, probably an hour of their traveling through these different areas and there were several instances where A lion would rush at them or a cheetah would be near them and one of like Richard Carlson's character would want to shoot them and and Stuart Granger's character would like knock the gun out and say no don't do that
2: don't shoot stand still that was a close call no not really they're not dangerous unless they're hungry well how do you know when they're hungry Oh, if they eat you, they're hungry. Seriously, Alan, how did you know? Look,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible way to find out. That that was that was a, a good scene and i think it would have been really easy for them to just go overboard and just like shoot everything like just just shoot the lion shoot the cheetah alan quatermain's character was much more about there's no reason to do that why would you do that they're not going to bother us because they're not hungry or you know whatever the reason was but there were several like the ants all those ants Mm -hmm. yeah he's got a great line about how everything is out to either Kill you, or is going to be killing something, or being eaten. It's just like the jungle is just alive with all these dangers. Looks
2: completely peaceful. It isn't. Ah, it's been tearing its own throat for a million years. In this one small area here, there are a thousand creatures living, reproducing, killing, being killed, eating, being eaten. There's not a square inch that isn't a war if you look for it. Look. Ooh. And look there. I don't see anything. Oh, wait a minute, it'll move. Ooh! That's a mamba. One dip from that and you stay here. Mm.
0: <laughs> so he's pointing out all of these dangers in the jungle as they're going through, and I thought, man, I don't, I don't know if they're going to survive this part of the trip.
1: <laughs> I-, I thought it recreated... Uh, as 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 a really uh truthful presentation of their their safari and trek uh it was it was interesting when they started she's in this wagon mm-hmm. and i'm thinking that's not going to last yeah. and sure enough before long they're out walking and she's bound up like a mummy and's about to faint from the heat
2: Mama, what's
0: wrong? Kid, is sick? What's the matter?
2: Oh, I think I'd like to walk for a while. You all right, Beth? This old wagon—it's not very comfortable. It rocks. He's seasick. I'm perfectly all right. Let's go on. Now, just a moment. What are you doing? Mrs. Curtis, out here, perspiration has got to be given time to evaporate, or you won't last two hours, and you're sealed up like a tin of pears. Kiva, get that box. Now, this may be just the costume for shooting pheasant in Sussex, but it won't do out here, and i go behind those bushes and change. Take off those corsets. Impertinence, wretched man. Come, Think think I'm going to stand.
0: And and, uh, she gets seasick because of the motion of the wagon over all the rough terrain. And uh, Quartermain pulls her out of the wagon and and just starts unbuttoning her corset and, you know, fastening her jacket and says, you need to get out of this thing. Go change. And so she gets a change of clothes. And as she's changing this gigantic spider. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen one anywhere near that size yeah that was a bit ridiculous it was it was kind of cartoony the way they did that but it climbs (laughs) into her clothes and she's walking back from changing and he sees this giant spider and says don't move and then brushes it off of her and uh, i was reading that although there are uh, tarantulas in uh, africa they're they're nowhere near that big and they wouldn't ever come near people so
1: (laughs) (laughs) it made for an interesting scene though
0: I bet it got some screams from the audience when it was showed up. <laughs> oh,
1: yes, especially with the group of us at the theater on a matinee on a Saturday. Oh yeah, for sure. Wow, yeah. I was I was racking my brain trying to figure out what the second feature was for this film, and I never could come up with it, and I had no luck in trying to find what it would be. But this alone would be a, a, a matinee, but they always had two films.
0: It would have been it would have been a B movie, right? The the other film, oh, yeah. and it would have been sort yeah. of a
1: camp-y. maybe a Tom Mix cowboy yeah. or something like that. Uh, the Deborah Car character really struggles throughout the the movie, just keeping up and uh, has to be helped a lot. And she remember that scene where she steps on the. Uh, alligator or the crocodile yeah. that was pretty exciting <laughs> that was <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah so
0: i thought yeah her character was a bit of the damsel in distress through most of the movie although there was a couple scenes where she was a bit stronger where there was the part of the movie where they sort of had to like a lot of the people that were with them left and so it was just kind of like four or five of them that were going to continue on and her brother john good played by richard carlson says well don't you want to maybe you should just go back with them and she's like no she's she's going to continue on there was a scene where this uh i don't know what it was some kind of a large cat was trying to attack her tent and get in her tent and she defended herself with a pistol.
2: Nothing. She's been dreaming again. It was not a dream. The animal tried to get into my tent. I asked you not to shoot unless it was absolutely necessary. Do you mean I'm lying? It dug its claws right through the tent. Look at it. I don't think you hit it. The bullet holes are too high. Oh, so there was an animal. You turn in. I'll keep watch the rest of the night. Next time, call me. I did call you. You, go to bed. Good night, bed. Oh, he's a dreadful man.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, for uh, that one, she did stand up to Quartermain and say it really happened. And he goes around and looks at the tent and uh, has to agree with her. I think it was hard for him to even realize it she would have done something like that and and hadn't made it up in some kind of a dream.
0: Yeah, yep, exactly. So she's not going to let him bully her that way. Yeah.
1: Her character does get stronger as it goes along. And I I wonder if maybe that also is a point in the film where the second director came in when Andrew Martin took over because his forte was doing these adventure and and highly uh, orchestrated scenes. He... um, he, did the, he was the second unit director for the Chariot Race in Ben-Hur, which is one of the all-time most difficult scenes to ever have been done on film at the time. So he really knew how to do that. And it seems like the film becomes more interesting for me to watch now as she evolves into a stronger character and stands up to Granger.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because that, that is a good point does become more interesting after that uh, uh, you know up to that point it's sort of like uh, we're on a little sightseeing tour safari uh, uh yeah like, well here's some animals over <laughs> here and here's some animals over here and we're gonna cross this river and and then a- around this point it it becomes a lot more intricate in terms of the plot because uh they get to the point where it's just elizabeth curtis alan Quatermain, john good and i think there were two other uh, characters with them and they get to a um was it a Maasai or encampment or something where they are gonna borrow some boats from from this group of people yeah that
1: was a really interesting and well done See, I, I, I don't know the names of the different groups that they met up with, but uh, yeah. Quartermain came into his own in that one.
0: Well, and I thought the way they did, they portrayed these different groups of people were pretty respectful for, especially for the nineteen fifties. Uh, they they really showed more of sort of the life and. The traditions of these people, you know, in just more of a factual way, and there wasn't a lot of sort of side commentary about how they're savages. There was a little bit, but I, I was expecting a lot more
1: of that. I, I think part of that again is the is the uh, the second director. I think he changed the focus to make it more like a, a an adventure uh, high drama film. Uh, because we see that even later when they come into that other village. And lo and behold, this guy shows up, this uh, European guy. Van Bruun, a.k.a. Smith. <laughs> so we've, we've just met Hugo Haas as Van Brun. What a grimy character that was.
2: I haven't seen a white face for five years. You've been here five years, Mr. Smith. Yes, for five years and more. <laughs> I like it here. What are you doing in these parts? Just looking for trouble? No, I'm looking for a man called Curtis. Henry Curtis. He was here, about a year ago, with only one bearer. A fellow with one eye and a scarred face. Where is Curtis now? I haven't anything better to offer you. This is poker. It's a wild drink. Do you know where he is? Please tell us. You don't happen to have anything better than this with you, do you? Yes. Got a bottle of brandy outside. Brandy? I haven't tasted brandy in years.
0: Yeah, that guy was gross. And he was the most excited about being able to drink some brandy. He said it had been years since he'd had (laughs) any brandy.
1: (laughs) I just find that whole second half of the movie more engaging. Mm-hmm. And the way Quartermain handles that, gives him some more brandy, and then is holding a pistol to his stomach. That was a great scene.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that that seemed like something that an Indiana Jones character would do, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, all he needed was a whip. <laughs> yeah, And I was a little bit confused by... The fact that, like, this Van Bruen character had some kind of status with that uh, group of people that he was living with, uh, where he could kind of tell them that he wants them to kill Stuart, uh, you know, Quatermain and John Good and Elizabeth Curtis. And Quatermain figures that out and is able to, you know, get them out of there before the bad stuff goes down. <laughs> <laughs> he
1: must yeah a Van. I just forgot the character's name. Van Brun must have used must have had a weapon or weapons and uh, other things that he used to to sort of become a leader of that group,
0: like intimidate them or yeah
1: yeah. That's and he was hiding
0: a, out because he was wanted for murder. Yeah, yeah. He's not. I a could good see. Guy.
1: I could see a character like that in an Indiana Jones movie
0: oh absolutely yeah that there's certain little scenes and vignettes in this movie that fit right into that indiana jones uh archetype and i don't know that i don't know how much of an influence this was on indiana jones there were some scenes in the caverns that felt more like indiana jones as well
1: uh yeah there was one where they were able to have two two openings and when the lights came in from the sun they crossed, and it, it gave them some reference point.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or or when the tunnel collapsed and they were trapped, that felt like something that would happen to Indiana Jones. And and
1: I have to uh, do two asides. One is, Stuart Granger looked really good when he didn't have on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> he, he managed it not that. And then the other thing is that when uh, Delbert Carr's character cut her hair, mm-hmm it still looked like she'd just come from a beauty parlor yeah
0: there was a funny (laughs) anecdote that i read where in the screening for this movie uh, when that scene came up the audience was laughing out loud when they showed how perfect her hair was arranged (laughs) after that and the director and producers left it in because they couldn't figure out how to transition from the long hair to the short hair in, in any other way so it's kind of a lighthearted scene because it looks like she just came back from the beauty parlor (laughs) out in the middle of nowhere (laughs) out in the middle of the safari Uh. speaking of indiana jones though i think the way that indiana jones portrays women at least in the first one is uh, i think more like what i guess maybe we kind of would hope that deborah carr's character would be portrayed as in this movie you know, yes more yeah. stronger kind of more independent not having to rely so much on quartermain and and her brother uh, she does that I think as the movie goes on she does more of that and she is more independent but never really to the degree that you'd see like uh, that character in the first Indiana Jones movie whose name escapes me at the moment
1: I agree with that I I wanted to ask you like Alan quartermain keeps ringing a bell to me and I I forgot to look it up, but does he reappear as a character in those films that had to do with like the Five Million Miles to Earth? And it's.
0: I had the it, same thought. It's that it, his name is Quartermass. Quarter Quarter. Oh, yeah, okay. it's slightly different. Yeah, Quartermass, Mass, Yeah, Quartermass. Okay.
1: Yeah, because they're so similar, and I thought his descendants were fighting evil spirits in
0: London in the subway. I thought the same thing. Yeah, I thought oh. that would be cool. <laughs> We've been watching too many films.
1: It's not the same name, though. So, no. Okay, family. Maybe part of the up. same
0: family, though. Maybe
1: could be adventurers it's related of art. somehow. So uh, they manage to escape the grips of
0: of the uh, of the Van Br- Brune character, and he meets his end, not before killing off another one of the african people that are with yeah. with the group so now they've got they're with that one guy who just sort of appears like he's he uh just i don't know he just kind of appears out of nowhere and joins the crew and it turns out yeah. that he's the like a lost long lost king of this other group of people that they end up with near the end of the movie but we don't is know that, that the, when we is first is that the
1: meet watusi him. tribe
0: yeah i think that's it the watusi tribe yeah
1: And they end up in a civil war
0: again these adventures get better and better
1: as the film progresses so quatermain and his small group are now uh, trapped between uh, two warring groups
0: and they have to cross this desert and it it turns out that this map that they have that uh elizabeth curtis's husband had was accurate and It's like, oh, well, maybe there actually is a King Solomon's mine.
2: There's the desert. The map was right. I will stay here until dark and gone by night. It'll be too hot to travel by day. There may be a diamond mine out there. The map was right about the desert. It may be right about the mine. I'll be happy if it's right about the waterhole. That fellow's probably heard about the mines. That would explain him he's got a long way to go to get to them there's the problem of getting back well we could always sprout wings and fly back to England
1: you're awfully cheerful about it
2: well I for one don't care I want to see what's out there everything on the map is correct so far and I have a feeling that when the mist clear we're going to see the mountains marked on that map one I babbled to Smith about burning earth and burning sun that means that Curtis reached this desert and
0: if the water was where it's marked on the map he may have reached that too there's some really beautiful photography of them at night on the desert. Yes. Yeah, that was really magnificent,
1: and their timing was good because they did find they find they find the uh, oasis, the water, just in time because they're out of water.
0: Yeah, I was reading that they filmed parts of this at Lone Pine. And I think we're getting to the part of the movie where it it does look a little bit more like Lone Pine in certain shots.
1: It does. (laughs) Yep. And I I still think that some of those scenes of the mountains in the background are from the time they were in Africa. And then there are some that are matte paintings. And they're they're so well done, it's, it's hard for me to go back and remember which are which
0: yeah I think it's it's really well done there's there's definitely one where they're they're looking out over this vast distance and they see the two mountains in the distance. I'm pretty sure that was a matte painting and that but then when they get closer and they're actually like climbing up in the mountains, I think that was like real. They were really doing that somewhere
1: i don't know if that was done in africa or up at lone pine they also filmed it at another location in the u.s parts of it i can't remember where
0: well uh, this is i was going to bring oh, this in up the
1: carlsbad caverns
0: yeah 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 but but i was going to bring this up because they went to a lot of locations um i was just going to yes, read off some did. of these they went to carlsbad uh white sands national monument uh They were in the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, Hell's Gate National Park in Kenya, Death Valley National Park in California, Lone Pine, Tanzania, Uganda. The difference between a movie like this and then a movie where they just go to, let's say, Lone Pine and just film everything in Lone Pine, like the ambition and the drive to create something new and something that's never been done before because this is the first time that a lot of people probably would have seen some of these scenes of the wildlife and the natural beauty of Africa. And, I mean, they've really, I mean, I have to say that was really well done in this movie. Like, it really does portray that well.
1: And for a 10-year-old sitting in the theater in 1950, I had never seen anything like that in in some ways the movie was sort of incidental to this wonderful tour through Africa it was great yeah they finally get taken in at the by the watusi tribe and the uh, there's a king that's sort of a dictatorial king and he comes up with a plan to lead them up to where the mines are but then he uh, also has this This story to he's gonna lock them in with this large rockfall so that they would die and never be seen again.
0: We'll never dig
2: our way out of here. The only end of this is suffocation. We've been in here for ages. The torture should be dying for lack of air. There's a man coming in here somewhere.
1: and uh, those scenes are well done in the mind now that some of that looks like it might have been in a studio setting it's hard it's hard to tell but
0: yeah i think especially the scene when they're uh in the the river that runs through the cavern that had to have been really challenging to set up and film in an actual cavern because they had so many like kind of cool lighting effects and the water was running through there so quick i I mean maybe maybe it was filmed somewhere on set on on site this movie is like an hour it's like a hundred and let's see a hundred minutes long i think
1: yep yep
0: and we don't get to the mine until an hour and a half into the movie there's 13 minutes of the movie left and we still haven't seen the mine and i kept thinking like most of this movie is going to be in the mine or like at least we're going to spend a good amount of time in this mine and i kept looking at the time like oh my gosh there's like 13 minutes left are we going to actually get to the mine what is going to happen in the next 13 minutes (laughs) Uh, To add to that, I also remembered from seeing it before that there's going to be this fight
1: between the two groups where the two leaders have a fight back at the Watusi tribe, and how are they going to fit that in in the last 13 minutes? There's
0: so much that happens in the last 13 Uh, minutes of this movie. (laughs) That's definitely the new director. It's got to be. And I kind of wish that they spent a little bit more time in the mine and then i started to think that it would have maybe felt more like that movie journey to the center of the earth like like going through the caverns of the mine might not have been that interesting unless there were like monsters down there or something because I, i i kind of came to the conclusion that maybe we spent just the right amount of time in the mine it was there's so much other stuff that we got to see in the movie that i was okay with it well, in that last 13 minutes,
1: Elizabeth finds her husband's skeleton. They find this treasure trove of diamonds. They get abandoned by the tribe and left in the cave. They escape through the uh, underwater, un- under, underground uh, river out and they get back. They get picked up by one of the groups in the Civil War, and then they go back. And watch a duel to the death between the two leaders, and the uh, side that they're uh, hoping wins, he wins, and then they
0: are resupplied and they take off <laughs> yeah. in thirteen minutes. That's a really fast-paced end of the movie. It was like goes out with bang, a bang, bang, bang. Yeah, <laughs> yes. especially with how slow the movie was in some parts. It was just here's a tour of the jungle, you know. It's like, oh, now we're just hanging out by the river and taking a bath and... You know, so. Yeah, washing my hair. <laughs>
1: yeah. But I also like the fact that the near, near the end of the film, Deborah Carr's character is now a co-equal with the two guys because she has a rifle too. And, yeah. And uh, Quartermain says to her, there, keep this. It's not loaded, but they won't know. They had one bullet left. Yeah. Yeah, and they're that, all three standing there with their rifles.
0: You know, hearing you say that, maybe she does evolve. Maybe it's just that that evolution happens so fast at the end of the movie that it's like almost it almost kind of slips your mind when you're thinking about it. But yeah, you're right. There, the ending of the film is all three of them standing shoulder to shoulder with the guns, and yeah, she's right there with them. So I don't know. I, I think that maybe we should give it a little bit more credit in that regard
1: yeah even during the podcast today it, it it's occurred to me that her she's got her character has the greatest evolution in the film from the beginning to the to the end well, of all the characters i think
0: yeah if you think about her character at the beginning when they're headed out and she's getting motion sickness in the in the wagon to the end where they're at this tribal ceremony for the new king and getting kind of resupplied. Like that's a that's a totally different person. Like she's she's yeah. I mean, even physically she's changed. Like her hair and I think her the way she like holds herself and stands and everything is is totally different. So yeah, I think the other characters, Quartermain and and Good. Pretty much the same, I think, as they were when we first met them. But she's totally different. I, uh, I, I, I read a
1: lot of the reviews. It, it's quite a mixed bag. But one that I like is, this is a quote, a highly spectacular romantic adventure melodrama that has the rare quality of holding an audience captivated from start to finish. That was written at the time of the film's release. That's pretty much describing me in the theater at the age of 10. (laughs) Yeah. I I had two reviews for the the film. Um, I give it an an 8, maybe a 9 on the adventure scenery music side, and probably a 3 to a 5 on the, uh, or maybe a C on how it holds up today in terms of some of the areas like how they treat people in Africa and the... uh, treatment of women and the superiority of the imperialists if you will
0: i would give it a nine uh, as being very enjoyable to watch entertaining great cinematography deborah carr is awesome like she's still one of my favorite actresses especially from black narcissus that's still one of my most favorite movies and she does a great job in this film i thought Stuart Granger, I didn't know much about him. I was interested to read more about him. Apparently, he and Deborah Carr had an extramarital affair on set. Like, the, the sexual tension between them on screen was, was real. Like, that was something that uh, happened in real life. So that was kind of interesting to read about. Um, I, I You know, I don't know how I can rate it for relevance today. I I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't more offensive than it was
1: so I do have to agree with you though about Deborah Carr her film career just is loaded with some really wonderful film roles From Here to Eternity and, and one of my favorite movies that she made a little later The Sundowners mm. which about uh, wanderers in, in Australia with Robert Mitchum she, she had so many good roles and she never won an Academy Award
0: Hmm. That's surprising. In all to those me. years, yeah. I think that was a recommendation from Arthur. It was. Thank you, Arthur. Yeah, good, and we've good got idea. some others that we'll be doing that Arthur recommended too. Uh,
1: he it coming up a little later will be Mogambo and then The Lion. Those are two that Arthur recommended. But our next film is um, one of my favorites about Africa: "Cry the Beloved Country" from 1951. With Sidney Poitier and Canada Lee, and it's quite a different take, and almost from the same period of time as uh, as uh, King Solomon's Mind. I think it came out in 1951, so I think we'll I think we'll enjoy that one.
0: Yeah, I'm mean, I'm looking forward to that one. I, I I still I still have another thought about this movie, which is. If it's portraying Africa in 1897 then it's portrayal of how the white people treated the Africans and that colonial attitude would have been accurate right to the time I think so from what I've read about it yes yeah and so in that light again it's kind of like this historical piece of media where it's trying to portray a certain period of time, which at that it would have been fifty years before this movie came out. I think it's accurate in the, in that way. So, if they had portrayed it differently, I, I don't know that it would have been like accurate to that period of time. Well,
1: and, and from today's perspective, it's trying to portray a period of time that's over one hundred and twenty years ago. Makes me wonder what somebody will think a hundred years from now about. The indiana jones movies
0: oh yeah well even watching it now there's a few things that are <laughs> a, a bit yeah off interesting okay well that was our review of king solomon's minds from 1950 and coming to you from north bend this is matt and here in los angeles it's bob wishing everybody happy movie watching yeah. that that, uh, battle between the two kings is in the last two minutes of the movie (laughs) I know it really races home